Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Yeah, you could do a little better. How about this one? Can I get an amen? Amen. Yeah, that's pretty good. What if I go amen? Hallelujah. Hey, the first service people are here. They know what to say. So, can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. There you go. So, if I ask amen as a question, I want you to say that you really, really, really agree by shouting praise to God. Um, okay, we're going to cut right to the chase here. Mark chapter 16 starts on page 853 of your Pew Bible, and it will very much help you to look at your Pew Bible today. They're right there in front of you, page 853. Mark 16 will be on the right-hand column, and I want you to start by going with your finger down the page in Mark 16 until you get to a place where it just stops. And you'll see there, no matter whose Bible you're using, your home Bible should all say this in some way. It might be a footnote, but it'll be there. It'll say something like, can you see it? Some of the earliest manuscripts do not include chapter 16, verses 9 through 20. Did you know that? Some of you, all right? So, wait, wait, Pastor, wait. There's Bible that's not Bible? Golly, it's a long answer. <laughs> it's a long answer. I'm going to give you some of it, but I don't want to take too much time on it today. The first thing to know is it, it has no reason to scare you. The Bible is true. The Bible is reliable. The Bible has the best tradition of textual record-keeping of any document in the history of the world. We are less confident about William Shakespeare's identity than we are, are about the New Testament documents saying what they're saying. All right? So the Bible is true. The Bible is not one book. The Bible is a lot of books. 66 books, actually. A bunch of them in Hebrew, like two with some Aramaic in them, and then a whole lot of Greek. And this bunch of books was put together in one book to stop people in the 2nd and 3rd century from lying about Christianity and saying, well, that book doesn't count, or saying, well, we have this other special secret book nobody knows about. And so around the 300s, the Christians got sick of it, and they started publishing lists. There's a long story behind how that happens, but it puts 66 scrolls, copies, Lots and lots of copies, by the way, of different books. You know, 1 Corinthians got hundreds of copies. Mark's got hundreds of copies. Fragments and sections. Lots and lots of paperwork put together by Christians then finally into codexes. Things that were capable of holding all 66 books. Before that, they just used scrolls. And so if you got to chapter 40, you had a long time to get back to chapter 1. Really, it was kind of tough. And, and you couldn't put too much in the scroll. It would just get unwieldy. So the book was this Christian invention to hold the Bible. That's why they called it the Bible. It's the Latin word for book. It was the book. It was the big one. <laughs> it had everything in it. 66 little books, of which Mark is one. Mark is one of the four Gospels. The Gospels are in the New Testament. Let me tell you a little story about how Paul's letters come to us that will help it kind of make sense. Mark had the same thing happen, just 
not as many copies, not as many letters. So the, the early church lives without the New Testament Bible for 10, 15, 20, 25 years. Can you imagine? The New Testament church lived without the written New Testament for a decade and a half, two decades. They just had the apostles talking. Now, whatever the apostles said, well, that was the word of God. And, of course, they confessed it. They began to write songs, which St. Paul will even quote sometimes. But nobody really writes it down. Instead, they're searching for it in the Old Testament. They're pretty convinced that books like the Psalms and the Proverbs still have a use for Christians. That's the primary thing that they're doing is keeping the Psalms and the Proverbs alive, studying Torah, studying David, studying Isaiah, seeing how it all points to Christ. But... Eventually, you do have some conflicts in various early churches, congregations, disagreements. Teachers who come in and start saying things like, I know you're 48 years old, but uh, you just became a Christian and you're not a Jew. So, yeah, we really do have to circumcise you. Otherwise, you're not going to heaven. And, and so Paul says, like, he starts writing this down, right? Like, no, <laughs> no, not that. That's not it. That's wrong. Right. And you get that letter sent to say Galatia. And Galatia is not one area or one, one city, it's, it's a region. And so there, there had to be, for the multiple congregations in Galatia, more than one copy of that single letter, which would not have been weird. The copies are made all the time. We do it today still. But so can you imagine now that the churches in Galatia, they hear that the church in Corinth got a letter too. Well, so they make a copy of their letter and they send it by carrier down to Corinth and they ask for a copy of that letter. And over 250 years, you got more copies coming out of your ears of New Testament documents than you can imagine. They're making copies left and right, which is great. It's how we know what it says. We have so many copies of it, we can tell with 99.9% .9 accuracy what the text really was. Can't say that about Homer's Odyssey. Can't say that about the Quran. Certainly can't say that about the Bhagavad Gita. Not at all. But you can say it about the Bible, and you can say it about the book of Mark as much as you can say it about Paul's letters. But then here's the thing, copies after copies after copies. What happens when there's a typo? And they weren't typing, but, but scribal error is the old-fashioned typo. Now, what happens when there's a scribal error? And that scribal error then gets copied and copied and copied. And then, you know, here we are 2,000 years later digging up pieces of paper, and we're like, it's Mark, it's Mark, it's Mark, but there's... That line's off right there. It says blue car. There's no blue cars in Mark, but example. No, it says blue car in this document, but it says car, the blue one, in that document. Well, there's a difference there. See, that's a, that's a scribal error. So there's lots of that that happens. And then there's like two places where you get a speed bump. One really big speed bump where it's not just a matter of, oh, it's about, you know, the participial placement in the line on the page or something like that. It's missing a period. There's no periods, by the way, at all. <laughs> That's a different story. Um, so so you, you get to this place where uh, you have these two texts where in all of the copies that we have of them, there's a really big difference. One of them is Mark 16, and the other one is John 8. You know this story. Let he who is perfect cast the first stone. A woman caught in adultery, he draws on the ground with his finger. Uh, that one, eh, a lot of early manuscripts of John don't have it. It's just not there. So here you have, you have a copy with that there, and you have a copy without it. And many copies, actually. Uh, and then you have the same thing with Mark 16, where you have lots of copies. In fact, as it says, the earliest copies. 
don't have it on the ending. It's not like the ending fell off, like there's missing paper. There's just space on the page. Right? And then you have later copies that have, would you believe it, like four to five different endings. The one that's here is just the most popular, the one that's in the most copies. But there's like a bunch of other endings. So what that tells me is that I think, is my opinion, you can disagree with me about this, I think Mark wrote up to verse 8, left it for the church, and over the next 200 years, you had Christians came along, and they got to the end, and they said, that's not right. They're afraid, and they don't say anything. Well, I'll say something. And I want to suggest to you that's actually Mark's point. Mark wants you to do that. And that kind of gets taken out of the story if we just have the standard kind of Matthew 2.0 ending that verses 9 through 20 give us. We're going to look at that, by the way, verse by verse today, verses 9 through 29, or 9 through 20. We're, we're going to hit every verse. What I want you to take away from it is, what happens if it's all gone? Those verses don't exist. What changes? And the answer is nothing except for, will you believe it, snake handling. I'll... I'll cover that when we get there. Nothing except snake handling changes. Because the Bible's complete. It's filled. It's full. So either you do have exactly what Mark wrote, and it just says in other places too, so you know what it says. Or you don't have this, because Mark's making this interesting point about how we are to not be afraid. We'll come back to that. Uh, but in making that point, he convinced a bunch of Christians to not be afraid. And in the first two centuries, they left marks of what they knew the truth was. They insisted on saying something. And so at least Mark 16, 9 through 20, should be seen as one of the earliest commentaries of any church father in the history of the church. And it should really tell you the early Christians were convinced Jesus was risen from the dead because they're going to make sure you knew it. Now, even though Mark had forgotten to tell you except the thing about this now you've been with me through mark a long time now week by week then you know i've been saying jesus sees it coming jesus is saying what's going to happen before it happens over and over again and not a single time is he wrong hey guys go into town some guy with a jug of water there'll be a room really nice one for us to hang out in tonight check it out go it happens, right? Oh, by the way, I need a really high-quality mount. There'll be one tied up somewhere. If they think you're stealing it, just tell them it's mine. They'll let you have it. Like, he just, he just says stuff like this, and it comes to pass. And everyone is following everything he says, except for he keeps saying they're going to kill him, and then he'll rise from the dead. And they're like, Did he? I didn't even hear what he said. Let's talk about who's coolest. Right? Like, they, they really just, they can't hear it, right? They can't hear it. And this is what Mark is wanting you to get, again, frustrated by. It's so clear who he is. He said he's going to rise. The angel shows up, said he rose from the dead. Why are you running away afraid? But then that's where there's this real nice moment, I think, where we need to move from, hey, ladies, stop running away afraid. Go tell Peter and John that Jesus rose from the dead so that, you know, they'll run to the tomb and all this. And, and, of course, Jesus meets Mary a little bit later and makes sure she does do that. She does do that. So other Gospels tell us what happens here, right? Um, uh, but, uh, excuse me. But the fact of the matter 
is that Mary's not the one who's afraid. And the women aren't the ones who are afraid. Not, not today. But you are. Well, I'll confess, just a moment ago, I kind of lost my train of thought. I got it back. You know what happened? I started sweating. You know why? I was afraid. You know why? Because you're judging me. You know why? Because I'm talking to you. You know why? That's what we do. That's what we all do, all the time, every day. And you know how harsh the words can be in the world where the victim mentality of, I'm offended by you, so you better, comes at you pretty hard. And you know what the result of that has been to Christians over the last 50 years? We shut up. We stop talking. Keep the peace. And now, do I have to say what they're doing in libraries to little kids? Who's afraid? Who's forgotten to talk? I don't say this to chide you. I, I do say it so that we will all bear the sin in our own heart before God and say, hey, open my mouth before it's too late for all the rest of it here. Right? And, and again, Mark is here to spur us to this. To say, I, I don't want to be afraid. I don't want to hide in darkness. I know how the story ends. I'm going I'm to speak that. Now, with all that as our intro, we're just going to go through the text verse by verse. I'll make commentary on it as we go. Uh, the front end's pretty clear, but Mark has these, like, moments of strange uh, what, window dressing that he does. He puts flavor in, so we'll get a little of that, beginning with the names of the women. Uh, chapter 16, verse 1, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. So the women who followed Jesus, we heard about them a little bit uh, uh, Friday night as well with the burial of his body. It's, it's, he basically had a crowd, right? And this crowd at times was thousands of people big. And so he had handlers, you know, he had right-hand people who helped him a lot. The apostles were those. But they also had within that group a, a crowd of ladies who traveled around and they, they took care of stuff. Um, I don't know. If you're in a group of 50 people moving around uh, you know, the countryside, I'm pretty sure there's a lot to be done. So th these women had been there and been around, and here they are early wanting to take care of his body. Now, the question a little bit is, who are they? Because this number of women that we get listed is different in different texts, which tells us that basically we have a pretty good-sized crowd of ladies, three or more, going to the tomb on this morning. Uh, but different authors of the New Testament only want to draw your attention to some of them. And why that is, uh, well, you'd have to look at each text individually. For Mark, it would seem to get scholars to argue about who they are as part of what, what it's there for, because you know, who they are is not that clear. But let me suggest that the primary tradition holds that, that at least Mary, the mother of James, uh, is the mother of Jesus. Uh, so James is the brother of Jesus. He wrote the book of James, also the brother, brother of Jude, wrote the book of Jude. Um, so uh, there's a good chance this is Mary, the mother of our Lord. Mary Magdalene is this prostitute, probably, uh, who had had seven demons cast out of her and was pretty committed to Jesus after that. And you can kind of understand why, I think, right? Um, so, and then Salome, another one of the ladies, I believe she's related uh, somehow by, by family to to one of our famous people, but I, I don't have that one tucked up in the back of my head this morning. Uh, so, but here they are. They're going to anoint him, which is interesting. That's, that's kind of the word Christ, right? They're going to christen him. They're going to wash him. Now, this is pretty key. Why? Well, duh, he's dead. 
Which means what? It means they're, they're, they're unbelievers is what it means. They don't believe he's going to rise from the dead on the third day. He said it over and over again. He made it very clear. Uh, let's just go make sure the body doesn't stink too soon. And on they go. Very early on the first day of the week, this would be today, Sunday. I kind of think of Monday as the first day of the week. It's the second day of the week in the ancient mind. Uh, early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Again, the question of unbelief, an issue of doubt. Uh, they are merely prepared to see a dead body. It's all they're after this day. And looking up, they saw that the stone was rolled back. Well, that's a bit of a shock. You know, if, if you went into some place that you thought was going to be locked down tight and the doors are wide open, like, what's going on there? It's a cave, right? It's dark, it's black. I can imagine this is a little nerve-wracking, even, you know, after sunrise in the morning. Um, so they see it roll back, and entering the tomb, they go in, verse 5. They saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. So, so they see someone, they don't say it's an angel, but it's not yet. The takeaway for you, Christian, is that's an angel. Uh, and in other Gospels, they'll, they'll call this guy, or the two of them actually, in Luke, uh, angels. Uh, but there's something, something's different about these angels. He just looks like a guy now. And the suggestion here is there's like, remember you just heard the Revelation reading about the, the seals being broken? And how like heaven and earth are kind of put back together again? Huh? And that's sort of what's happening here a little bit. This angel suddenly is like, he's just chilling. Oh, you guys didn't know? I thought he told, I thought he told you he was going to rise from the dead. Look, right there. Uh, we've been waiting for this a long time. Aren't you ready? And there's this big moment of, of what, joy from the angel here, if you can hear it in his words. Uh, verse 6, he says to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So, passing on the message, an angel is a messenger, that is the word, messenger, angel. Uh, passing on the message, uh, he is, again, assuming they know, because he told them that he's going to rise from the dead. But what's going on, don't miss it, at the start is they're alarmed. They're, they're terrified. This guy, what is this guy? They don't know what's going on. They're like out of their minds a little bit here. And this guy just says, well, go talk to Peter, which, did I say this yet to you this morning? Mark, as a gospel, is associated with the apostle Peter. Uh, Peter has kind of a, an extra special direction in Mark's gospel, as if he influenced the writing, and that's tradition holds that. So you see here him being kind of pointed out as, as the model, um, which he is in Mark's gospel. So it, he sends them to Peter. Go talk to Peter. Tell him that everything Jesus said came true, because duh, right? everything Jesus says comes true, and then what do they do? They went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Again, just let it sit there. Like, doesn't that just kind of be like, come on, wake up, see it, right? Doesn't that drive you that way? Again, that's what I think the text is doing. 
And again, uh, at least one, if not several, Christians came along in history and said, now we got to tell everybody what happened next. And then that's, uh, I think, what happens next in verse 9. And, and again, take this as an early Christian confession. I, I, don't, I personally don't take this end as authentic Mark, so I don't take it as authentic Bible. But I do take it as one of the earliest understandings of what the Bible says, and so I probably shouldn't disagree with it unless it's obviously wrong. Snake handling. This is coming our way here in a moment. So, verse 9. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. That's kind of a left turn in the storytelling right there. It just feels a little left turning. But, you know, Mary Magdalene, she's been mentioned, uh, from whom he had cast out seven demons. There's, there's the bit about that. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. It's kind of not what Mark just said a moment ago, but we do know that's ultimately what happened. John tells us first she flees, and then she runs into Jesus and she thinks he's the gardener. Remember that? And, and he's like, Mary. She's like, oh my goodness, it's you. He's like, go tell Peter. <laughs> right, so it's the same story, right? It's the same reality. It's just the order of things. She went and told him as they mourned and wept. Uh, and when they heard that he, that Jesus, was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. Now there he gets a little very marked. That, that is kind of the point of Mark. No one will listen. And that's not a reason to be afraid and quiet. Right? It's a reason to say it all the more and to say it louder. And to know that ultimately these words cannot be drowned out by any screaming or gnashing of teeth or fire or flood. Heaven and earth may pass away, but the word of Christ will never pass away. Huh? So, but see, they, they're struggling to believe it. They're struggling to understand it. And you can understand. You've got your own struggles. Now, again, it's almost like this is just a list of things here. Verse 12. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking in the country. Sound familiar? Luke's got the story of the Emmaus Road. There it is. Right? So it's, it's, it's like it's the same story, which is fine. It is. It's the same story. The only issue is, do, you know, do you need to treat it like it's the Bible itself? Or an early commentary. Verse 13. And when they went back and told the rest, uh, but they did not believe them. Uh, remember, this is in John's Gospel. John's Gospel? Luke's Gospel. The upper room, Doubting Thomas event's about to take place. Uh, the guys from Emmaus come back. We saw Jesus, right? And Peter's like, yeah, he showed up to Peter. And then he shows up to all of them, but Thomas is missing. But that's all kind of going on around this, the same text. Okay. Um, uh, afterward, and here it is, uh, he appeared to the eleven of them as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. So that is the Doubting Thomas reveal moment a, a week later, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And you definitely see then Mark or the, 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 the confessor from the early church telling you the point of Mark. Look, nobody believed it. And Jesus is actually not real cool with that. Like he loves you, he cares for you. He will never leave you nor abandon you, but he's not going to let you keep not believing. <laughs> like that isn't, That's not in the deal. Uh, the deal is I save you and you wake up. I save you and you grow. I save you and you are redeemed. You are mine. So again, hardness of heart, the rebuke, that's fair. The scripture talks this way. Right? Verse 15. And he said to them, go into all the world 
and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Sounds a lot like going to all nations, baptizing and teaching. Matthew 28 has a similar kind of commission. Um, I, I believe it's St. Francis of Assisi, on the basis of this text, would sometimes preach to birds in the garden. So it's, you know, all creation needs to be preached to. Uh, you know, I don't know, right or wrong. I like to I like to say hallelujah to the birds sometimes, or thank you, Jesus, for the birds. But it, you can see where the language here is not quite the same as Matthew. And that's where, as we get toward the end, there's kind of a piling on of stuff that is where those who get in trouble with this text uh, go and get it. So verse 18, um, actually this is in our catechism. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, if you just put two and two together, you might go like, wait, wait, our catechism quotes that verse. That verse isn't in the Bible. Does that mean our catechism's wrong? And what did I say earlier? Do you lose anything from these verses if they're gone? And the answer is no. So here it is. He who believes and will bapt is baptized will be saved. That's what Mark 16 says. And if you need it somewhere else in the Bible, 1 Peter 3 says baptism now saves. Go look it up right there. So, so you lose nothing. You lose nothing here. right? Uh, but it is a nice, clear statement of the truth. This is absolutely true. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Absolutely true. Treat it like it's inerrant. It, it is. It's, it's without error. Just see that it's maybe not written by Mark. Right. Um, whoever believes and baptized will be saved. Whoever does not will be condemned. Verse 17. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. Well, there you go. There's a pile. Right. So what happens in some corners of charismatic Pentecostalism, where they do believe that you must speak in like radical, non-human, non-understandable tongues to prove that you're really a Christian, in some of the most extreme corners of that movement, they realize that he doesn't only say you've got to speak in tongues, it says you're going to drink poison, you're going to play the snakes. And so if you want to show the Holy Spirit, get that rolling going, right? Run around on the altar and like roll on the ground and prove that you've got the bird inside. Well, one way to do it is get a cobra, pick it up and play with it. Look at me, i got so much trust in Jesus. And people, people have done this. Well, okay, so if you're not supposed to do that, what are you supposed to do with this text where Jesus says, cast out demons, speak in tongues, pick up serpents, drink poison? And it's, it's a very simple answer. Paul, Peter, they did all that. They did all that. Paul gets bit by a snake, shakes it off. Everyone's like, you're going to die. He's like, maybe. And then he does it. That's it. Happens in Acts. So what you have here is a list of apostolic acts which is fine. The problem would be believing you're an apostle on the basis of the text. That would be the problem, right? Going out and trying to test God by healing people at the local morgue. Right? And then when it doesn't work and they don't rise from the dead, you think, oh, he doesn't exist, he doesn't listen, right? That's called testing God. It doesn't, doesn't work. It ends up destroying your faith. And so they, can you see where like, I start to go, yeah, Mark 16, I, it's good enough, it's fine, but I like the short ending. I don't like having to argue about snake handling. I don't think it's necessary. Huh? Uh, and I love the idea that I'm afraid and I need to repent. 
I love that idea. That fear is not something I have to stay in. I don't want to deny it. I don't want to say I'm not afraid. But when I am afraid, I can acknowledge my fear to God. And in that moment of saying, I'm afraid and it's wrong. I'm afraid of man. I'm afraid of money. I'm afraid of things that are dark and evil. I should be afraid of you, God. In that moment, God's like, yeah, don't worry about it. And it doesn't mean you don't worry about it. It means that fear that you had is now in the right place. Which you turn around and what you find on the other side of that is courage. Courage. I said it a moment earlier, and I think this is really important. This is a cultural moment here, St. Paul. You've heard people in society today say, I'm offended. Right? Like, it's just, it's just out of the back pocket. Like, I want to change you. And so I'm offended. So what that is, is called a victim mentality. A victim mentality. That you believe, if you talk that way, I'm offended. You believe you're a pawn of fate and can do nothing about anything because if I just look at you wrong, you wither. Poor, poor, sad you. Victim mentality. And just... Christians, we're not victims. We're conquerors. We've been conquered and washed into the team of the one who's going to win once and for all. He's called you by name. He's anointed you with his spirit. No victim you. And so in that regard, again, a weapon against the fear. Am I saying you're not going to fear? No, you're going to fear. That's what I love about being able to repent of my fear. I don't have to like be like, oh, I fear I should stop. I can just say, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't want to be afraid, but I am. Ah, selfish me. And, and again, suddenly I'm falling on grace. Whereas opposed to if I got to never fear, if I have to just be brave on my own, now, now I'm brittle. Now I'm pretending. Now I got a posture. Right? And then as soon as there's a crack, I collapse. That is me. That's my life. I think it's our life. I think it's who we are. I think it's why they ran. They were afraid. Thanks be to God, Jesus doesn't leave it there. Yeah, He chases us down. He makes us brave again with his word. Verse 19 and 20 to close up here. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. You got that in Luke and in Acts and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Again, as the book of Acts is filled with that. So, you are free to love the long ending of Mark or to not. I, I think I only said this at the first service that you grab any 10 Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod pastors, any 10. You, I don't care what political faction they're in. I don't care what kind of liturgy they use. Any 10, you throw them in a room and you draw a line and you say, ending of Mark, long side, short side. They'll split in half. And the thing is, we all kind of know this as pastors and none of us are worried about it because it's, it's not something to be afraid of. I hope I've shown you. It really testifies to how trustworthy the whole Bible really is. That we've just got like, two little corners where you can barely begin to question it and it doesn't change anything. That's, that's the weakness. That's the weak link in Christianity. That's not weak. That's tremendously reliable. Yeah? The scriptures are true. 
And then in this, let's, let's remember what them going into you means, right? Jesus who refuses to hide. Jesus who refuses to stop. Jesus who insists on transforming the world. Jesus who won't leave a blind man blind. Jesus who won't leave a deaf man deaf. Jesus has entered into you once and for all for eternity. He's going to feed you again right now so you don't doubt it even a little bit. This is the good news. You are the kingdom now. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.